Welcome to The Dark Academicals, the podcast where we delve into the mythos of dark academia one book at a time. I'm Sophie Waters. And I'm Sarah Purnell. Today we're looking at the YA dark academia thriller Ace of Spades by Farida Abike Amidi. Written from the perspective of the only black students at an elite private high school, Ace of Spades follows Devon and Chiamaka as they desperately try to uncover the identity of a stealthy antagonist. Aces is sending text messages to the whole school, revealing things both Devon and Chiamaka have strived to keep a secret. With their bright and hard-fought-for futures hanging in the balance, it quickly becomes clear that Aces is more than a prank, more than a school bully, and the truth is something much more horrifying. Ace of Spades is a powerful and necessary narrative created using a clear and accessible writing style. An unflinching social thriller that challenges destructive themes such as institutional racism, white privilege and widespread homophobia. Okay, so putting in our normal spoiler alert here, because we are going to go into all of the plot twists, all of the big reveals and all of the things that you don't want to know about when you start reading this book. So if you've read, welcome. If you haven't, go back, have a read. And we'll see you in a few hours. Uh, We'd also like to point out that there are some content warnings for this book, including racism and racist slurs, homophobia, suicide ideation and implied essay. There is a full list of content warnings on the author's website. I think we're going to dive straight into what makes or doesn't make Ace of Spades a Dark Academia title. Starting with a higher education setting that is often on campus and usually elite or exclusive in some way. So yes, but no. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) You can't deny that uh, the school is elite and Mm -hmm. it's exclusive and obviously incredibly difficult to get into, especially if you are a person of colour. Yeah. But it's not a higher education. It's a high school, so... It doesn't have the same campus kind of setting that we often see for like American colleges or English universities. Yeah, and the action's like not exclusively on on campus either. It's it's fairly evenly split, isn't it? Yeah. Between like their neighbourhoods and their houses and around town, whereas traditionally dark academia books tend to take place kind of 80% on campus, don't they? Yeah. I think what's interesting about this one is like, there's not a distinct location, and she actually mentions this in a li- this a little bit in the author's note. Mm-hmm. It's just an unnamed American town, but with that kind of universality about it that it literally could be anywhere if you took out the references to American things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. And it has that kind of like atmosphere of the townspeople not liking the students in the school, which is a very kind of familiar dark academia thread. Yeah, and the school itself is set in a very um, striking place, I think, because it's described as being like literally in the middle of like what is considered the richer end of town to the, mm. you know, the poorer end of town. For want of a better description, but that's <laughs> yeah. essentially like the, it's like it divides the two kind of communities, doesn't it? And it so it sits itself in a very strange kind of location in that respect. Yeah, because normally these sorts of institutions are quite isolated, aren't they? Yeah, 
they're very dramatically isolated. <laughs> yeah, or they're very clearly like uh, positioned within those like elite exclusive communities. So like, yeah. um, you know, in uh, Gossip Girl, for instance, which this book mm. is kind of definitely uh, draws on Gossip Girl. Yeah, lot. yeah, it does. So Constance is very much like this big kind of gothic-y old-timey type building slap bang in the middle of uh the city so it it doesn't have Mm. that kind of sense of have and have nots but it it was also on the upper east side yes that's true which is you know a very classically rich and privileged neighborhood in yeah new york city so and i think like that same balance is struck with the location of Nibius. Yeah. So you mentioned the like the old gothic-y architecture and that's something that Nibius definitely has as well. And um, we don't get much about the actual school, but at some point Devon does say the exterior is old and haunted looking and the interior is new and modern, reeking of excessive wealth. <laughs> Which is interesting because we don't ever hear Chiamaka comment on it at all, really. No. Because this kind of like wealthy landscape is familiar to her, normal to her. Yeah. So I thought that was quite a distinction, how it's something that's obviously out of place Mm. if you're not part of that world. Yeah. Which It feels like it's quite big. It's yeah. quite big, but quite small. I don't know <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah it does. Um, I mean, it's it's physically big because, you know, there are science labs that, you know, Devon's never heard of. <laughs> yeah. Classrooms that they've never visited. But everyone knows each other. Everyone's really involved in each other. Yeah. Um, I guess that's kind of part of the exclusivity, really, isn't it? And that privileged kind of wealthy society, they are often very connected. Yeah, everyone very knows someone or everyone's parents know someone else's parents from doing business with somebody's grandparents mm. and it's all kind of interwoven that way. They probably share a yacht or something. Exactly. They mention it being a legacy school, don't they? Yeah. It's like parents and grandparents, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, kind of have gone through the school and all of the generations after do as well so there's there's those connections there as well yeah one of the things that is kind of a a real tenet of dark academia is the preoccupation with classical studies or latin or latin greek literature philosophy that is not present at all no nil point in the book i mean chiamaka loves science yeah but it's it's a it's an undertone. It's just a kind of it's part of her rounding out as a character. But yeah. it's not it's not a main part of the story. Yeah, and I guess Devon his his love of music is probably more reaching towards that element because mm. music is like a you know, it's an art, it's a subjective yeah. kind of subject, whereas Chiamaka and her science is more fact based, isn't it? Those kind yeah. of pursuits are not usually glorified in dark academia 
whereas no, music potentially true. would be. Yeah, and I guess that, uh, everything that's going on kind of distracts them from those things that they enjoy. Whereas in dark academia, normally those things are the source of the conflict. Yes, and the structure of what is happening. Yes, see Henry Winter in <laughs> exactly <Secret yep>. history. <laughs> murder <laughs> murder <laughs> we do have a murder but it's not the driving force or like it's, it's not an actual murder is there well i mean you feel like it's a murder don't you you're, you're um made to believe that it's a murder yeah okay yeah it's a hit and run and you're kind of made to believe that they left mm. this girl yeah. to die so for a lot of That's the novel true. you kind of believe there is a murder so that's why I think it does technically count. Okay, fair enough. Yep. But there is just generally death as well. Yeah. With the ending of the novel and um, like suicidal ideation as well. Yeah, I think there's also just like an overpowering feeling of threat throughout the whole, like of, mm. of bodily harm. I mean, obviously, yeah. Devon receives quite a lot of the bodily harm himself. He does, yeah. Um, but there's just that overarching kind of feeling that somebody is going to get seriously hurt yeah like i know i messaged you when i was coming up to the end of the book when they're going to get ready to go to the, the snowflake ball you can feel it mm. you know someone's going to get hurt and it's just oh it was so stressful <laughs> <laughs> i think that plays into kind of the dark moody and or haunting vibe as well yeah. Because I wouldn't say it's haunting. It's definitely dark. And I'd say there probably is like a hint of moodiness. Mm. I think definitely, um, I think Devon's perspective yeah. is more introspective and moody and... Classically dark academia. Yeah. Whereas I think with Chiamaka, it's a lot more nuanced i think she has mm. a lot more um highs and lows in her in how she expresses and how she communicates and how she kind of interacts with the world yeah definitely and she she exists in a different social space as well yeah and i do wonder well that's not traditional to dark academia i do wonder if that's part of the setup yeah it's that kind of enclosing you in a in a social space yeah. With Devon, maybe. The, but yeah, it's just, it's a very dark book. Like, yes. It is, it is YA, but it is extraordinarily dark YA. Thinking about those kind of social circles and how people can uh, position themselves within them. This is what I was thinking about when it comes to the element of hero worship of a particular figure or author. Mm -hmm. Because although... This book doesn't have that necessarily. I feel like, at least for a big chunk of the book, there's a sense that Chiamaka feels like she is that figure. Oh, definitely, yeah. Mm. Yeah, she kind of positions herself on a pedestal, doesn't she? Yeah. Everyone is below her and everyone should worship her because she deserves to be there. Yeah. Um, and that's everything she does at school is kind of building that 
I think I think it makes her um, story arc that much more terrible to behold. Like it is quite mm. horrific when you think she's feels like she's achieved. She's had to work so hard to achieve what she's achieved, and really, it was all just like a big setup for a massive fall. Yeah, definitely. And it's I think disgusting. It's, <laughs> yeah, and it's a lot more obvious than in Devon's arc i think it's obviously you know it's there too yeah massively but i think there are different things on the line for each of them aren't there Mm. i think that also comes into the the question of money yeah i know we specifically look at old money and how that collides with new money or no money and that's definitely reflected in the roles that everyone plays at nivius i think specifically when we're talking about um, what would have happened to Chiamaka and Chiamaka's best friend, Jamie. Yeah. Um, if the kind of the car crash was discovered. I think that's the most obvious foundation of that old money versus new money. Yeah. Because Jamie's money is rooted in, you know, legacy and very American money whereas Chiamaka's family's money is we don't know a huge amount about her family but it seems to be fairly restricted to her immediate family and linked back to her dad's Italian roots yeah so that money wouldn't protect her if you know they did get found out for the hit and run where Jamie is very likely to be saved by his dad's connections, even if he yeah. does lose. Because he's got the right name along with the yeah. money. Mm. Exactly, exactly. But where Devon enters the picture, that clashes with the no money. Yeah. There are lots of like tiny microaggressions from Chiamaka. I especially noticed it like later on in the novel where she's kind of saying, oh, I didn't really know what type of... Uh, you know, formal wear he'd have. Yeah. And I didn't know what his style would be. Mm. And she's he wouldn't He's kind of, she's kind of horrified that she that he wants to wear his beat up sne- uh, sneakers with the yeah. suit. <laughs> and like that he didn't think to bring dress shoes. Yeah. Whereas he probably doesn't have dress shoes. No. <laughs> um I think there's also comments from Devon earlier in the novel where he talks about like the state of his uniform Mm. and how it is a bit grubbier and a bit beat up because it has to last yeah and how everyone kind of wears the uniform to the letter on like the first day and then after that it's like free reign to do what you like but he doesn't really have anything Mm. that he can accessorize with or change it up with yeah that's very gossip girl yes because that's how blair and serena set themselves apart as the head of their clique don't they really yeah and they yeah. set the trends and everything. This did really make me want to rewatch Gossip Girl. I'm Which not gonna one? Lie. I haven't caught up with the the reboot yet. Mm. After what we watched together. Yeah. But I was thinking the original because I love Blair. <laughs> <laughs> I just love Blair. <laughs> anyway, slight diversion there. Isn't there a there, there? There is a mention, isn't there? To there is. She says she says she wants to to. 
What is it? She says she wants to not be someone and then be seen as a Blair Waldorf. Does she? Let me find Yeah. Out. Oh, so it's um, Jamie talking with Belle saying that um, she used to have a Winnie the Pooh teddy, but it clashed with her persona. Um, she said she told me herself she needed to seem more like Blair Waldorf and less like Meg Griffin. Yeah. But I don't know who Meg Griffin is. Family guy. Ah, okay. <laughs> I like those kind of subtle nods to like the inspiration yeah. or the kind of connection. Yeah, I mean, there is a... And... Speaking of connecting texts, did you spot the one for um, The Great Gatsby? No, I didn't. Okay, so on page 40, and it, they're in... I think they're in literature class, but... It says, um, sometimes we poke fun at the conspiracies our teacher, Mrs. Hawthorne, comes up with. Like the time she told us F. Scott Fitzgerald was really the reincarnation of William Shakespeare. Oh, I do remember that, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean... To which Ava had said, and I'm the reincarnation of Jane Austen's arsehole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do remember that, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I think little things like that as well, just kind of highlight just how white and elitist curriculums are because like and 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 especially in the context of america as well because i think f scott fitzgerald is held as this lofty figure of literature whereas i think in england we have more to draw on because we've been doing it longer (laughs) yeah but they are still very white yes White men, usually. Yes. Well, I'd like to talk about the weather, but there's not a whole lot to talk about with the weather. However, I did think the rain, there was added rain, which kind <laughs> of... It, it, was a, it was a nice touch to some of the more atmospheric moments, I think. We had See, rain. I don't really remember any instances of even rain, kind of. It was rain. It was cold. He had to have uh, Terrell's jumper. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, but no, it just wasn't really present, was it? No, which is a shame. I enjoy a storm in a book. <laughs> Always brings some good drama. Well, I suppose <laughs> there were some storms because he, I think, is it towards the beginning he notices there's a storm and like his window only uh, doesn't close all the way, so the rain comes in. Oh, I didn't notice that. It's weather. I always notice. I'm quintessentially <laughs> British. I do like to talk about the weather. <laughs> we all do. It's, it's genetics. <laughs> <laughs> the last kind of tenet of dark academia is underdeveloped social skills or the protagonist being portrayed as an outsider. I think we have some, we have different takes on this one. Mm. I mean, I, I think, yeah, I think from a, from a classic like interpretation of that, I would say Chiamaka no, but Devon yes. However, mm-hmm. both of them yes, because that's the whole crux of the book, isn't it? Is that yeah. they are outsiders. But there are definitely different levels between even them. Yes. And I think this is this is the first book we've looked at with a dual perspective, isn't it? Yes. So I definitely think that alone changes the dynamic of how you apply them as well and causes Mm. kind of 
not causes, creates contrast within the text. Yeah. So, because I would say they are both outsiders. But I don't think either of them really have underdeveloped social skills. Because Devon just... He he mostly just chooses not to. True. He makes friends, doesn't he? And he... He joins yeah. up with Terrell and he has Dre and these people around him. Oh, and... um. Oh, what's his name? Jack. I think I think he's I think he's more prey to his social anxieties than Chiamaka is. I think I feel that coming through the narrative. Like he mm. internalizes it and thinks about it a lot more, whereas I think she kind of sees it as a thing that needs to be done. Yeah, cuz she kind of she kind of places people around her as like a ring of defense, doesn't she? Yeah. And she even says at some point that, you know, they were her best friends, but they're not actually her friends. Yeah. She's just using them because they make her look good. Yeah. Jamie is the only person she genuinely likes, but he also just happened. I know. Oh, disgusting, disgusting <laughs> person. But he. <laughs> Sorry, I thought I was being quiet then. But no. Oh. no. <laughs> but he also happens to be rich and popular and cool and attractive. So he fits into that image that she's creating for herself. Yeah. You just want Jamie to get in the bin. Like, you just know oh, from, God. like, the first time you meet him that he's just a slimy shit, don't you? I know. Like, he's oh. just gross. That was a big betrayal, that one. Yeah. I mean, I saw it coming, but... Still a big one. Yeah. <laughs> Still didn't want it to be true. I also think, like, throughout the novel, although they kind of start off as outsiders because of being black because of um devon being scholarship student because of them keeping to themselves and not really kind of connecting with that many people they also kind of become more of an outsider but they Mm. do it together yeah and they kind of form their own alliance and group of friends through that i think there's even a a bit towards the end where Chiamaka says that she's not alone anymore. Mm. So instead of the traditional dark academia thing of finding it in the beginning, finding community in the beginning and losing it as everything deteriorates, it's kind of flipped on its head. I really appreciated that the in the um, epilogue we kind of see that they do kind of achieve the things that they wanted to achieve. Rather than, again, dark academia, usually it's all gone off the rails, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. I do wonder if that's... Is that a a YA choice? Potentially. Because this is the first YA novel we've looked at as well, isn't it? Yeah. So I do wonder whether that's a a YA choice. Because it is directed at, you know, people who, obviously not to the same extremity, but could be in a toned-down version of that situation. Yeah. And it's kind of light at the end of the tunnel, isn't it, really? Yeah, I think they because of their youth. like the, It's not like with the older protagonists that we usually look at in adult fiction where, you know, um, they have less of a chance to kind of find Turn their way again. Yeah. yeah. I think we're going to move on to a few isolated elements of Ace of Spades that we want to look at. Kind of... The big 
topics in this novel are racism, specifically institutional racism and homophobia. So we are going to discuss those a little bit and we just want to acknowledge really that we are kind of coming from this from a very privileged white perspective. Mm. Um, so we, we know that we don't have any of these same experiences and we are kind of learning learning about this too as we go. Ace of Spades is a very confronting book Mm. Um, and I think that that's necessary and I appreciate that I really do appreciate a book that doesn't shy away from it and puts it into focus because um, it needs to be done yeah it comes across from um, Terrell talking to Devon actually a really powerful passage that I don't think I've ever seen anything like this in a novel before and especially a YA novel it's quite a long passage so bear with he says I don't trust white people like you do I obviously don't think they're all murderers but I think they're all racist all I say eyebrows raised it sounds wild I know but racism is a spectrum and they all participate in some way they don't all have white hoods or call us mean things I know that But racism isn't just about that. It's not about being nice or mean or good versus bad. It's bigger than that. We're all in this bubble being affected by the past. The moment they decided they got to be white and have all the power and we got to be black and be at the bottom, everything changed. If we can't talk about honestly, and I mean really talk about it, then what's the point? I read Sir Malcolm X last year and I agree with him. Some might even treat you good like an owner might treat a pet. I think that's a really powerful (laughs) no and it is and I think I think that's what I was saying earlier like we're learning too it's 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 a journey it's not it's not cut and dried it's it's deeply embedded in in our culture isn't it yeah yeah and this takes it yeah I think sometimes it's in ways that you you obviously it's obvious but then sometimes it's ways that are less obvious Mm. and sometimes you i think you can't believe that it's still happening as well and again that's coming from a place of white privilege as well because you go well we recognize that racism is a problem and we can see where there are problems so why is it still a problem do you know what i mean Mm. like why is it still happening but that's because um these institutions just refuse to fuck off basically yeah so i guess we should probably explain a little bit about what's going on yes 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 Uh, so this was well quite a reveal (laughs) so nivius academy has a secret society called the ace of spades and every 10 years they invite i think it's two it's two every every time isn't it yeah two black students into the school they kind of let them succeed and have a wonderful time up until senior year. And then the society, which is most of the school, descends and ruins their life and pushes them out. Purely because they're black. There's no there's no other reason for this other than 
racism. Yeah. And it's not just like small like microaggressions or even just like racial slurs or you know that kind of or, or like educational abuse in any way. It's it's mm. it's meditated, horrible, uh, emotional, psychological, physical, physical actions that they're taking against these students. Yeah, they that, build them up and they systematically break them down again. Yeah. And it's kind of, they even have this summer camp, don't they? To teach them all about this for all of the new generations. And it's just horrifying. It's yeah. really like shocking to read, especially in a YA novel. But I yeah. think that makes it even more powerful and even more important. Mm. I think I got, I was, I reached the point where Mr. Taylor, who is all the like probably three quarters of the book, Mr. Taylor is the only teacher in school that Devon kind of connects with, that he feels yeah. like he's on his side, that he can go to for help. And the way Mr. Taylor treats Devon is utterly appalling. Like I was shocked. That was when I texted yeah. you. Like I I don't know. I I was just I I don't I, I can't I have no words still. Like yeah. that scene was awful in obviously in the best way from a writing point of view but like yeah yeah it's mm. shocking it really is so basically so mr taylor is the music teacher did you say that I yeah think you did <laughs> um and kind of a speak been speaking to devon before helping him with you know creating a piece of music that's going to be his juilliard audition and devon kind of shows him and mentions juilliard and mr taylor just he just turns doesn't he yeah and he laughs at devon and says you're not getting into juilliard um because obviously he's part of this society that is yeah. kind of ruining everything but also he's kind of this really personal vindictive move of mm. where mr taylor has let devon out of class to work on his music because this is allowed if a teacher signs off on it and it doesn't affect your attendance transcript yeah yeah he he's gone yeah he says like um you know, places like Juilliard, attendance is, is really important and with attendance as poor as yours. And, you know, he's like, but you said that this was fine. Mm. And, and then there's this bit where Devon just says, but why? And he says, because I can. It's chilling, isn't it? It's really, really chilling, yeah. I think the sad fact is, is that people are experiencing the same and similar in real life, yeah. not just in fiction. And that... Yeah. Seems impossible, doesn't it? Seems impossible. Yeah. Mm. Definitely. I think the exploration of homophobia is is not quite as on an extreme level, I don't think. But it's still extremely powerful and still shocking in the way that other characters view Devon's sexuality. Yeah. And the way they kind of, well, they out, aces outs him yeah, at school publicly by, you know, texting around pictures of him and his boyfriend. And his boyfriend is, you know, a drug dealer uh, called Dre. And Dre kind of gets spooked by this because he knows he will get, you know, 
ton of bricks down on him if anyone finds this out. So he gets rid of Devon and Devon gets a beating for it. Yeah. I mean, but isn't before that, isn't it, the pictures of him and Scotty get circulated? Oh, yeah, you're right, it is, yeah. And I think what's interesting is that even though it's obviously devastating for both of them, Scotty quickly bounces back and uses it as like a leverage somehow for his position at the school, whereas Devon, it... I don't think... I think at the school there's less of a homophobic like outwardly homophobic vibe in Mm. the same way that the racism is present yeah definitely um but it clearly does doesn't have the same outcome for devon as it does for scotty no as well i think because scotty is part of this society yeah and they are all tasked with learning about him them and bringing them down so there's always that out for scotty saying I was just doing what you told me to. Yeah, yeah. He has that kind of safety net there. Yeah. If he didn't want that information to be out there. Mm, and and I all guess his he... friends rally round him, whereas Devon loses his friend. Yeah, his it. only friend. Yeah. And we actually end up learning that he was part of it anyway. Yeah. Just like blow after blow. And I feel like Devon got more of those betrayals than Chiamaka. Mm. Because Chiamaka didn't really have many people that she cared about to begin with. Yeah. It was only Jamie and Belle, wasn't it? Yeah. But I think it was reassuring when he finally discussed it with his mum, though. Yeah. Because he was so scared throughout the novel, wasn't he? Yeah that his mum was going to hate him or disown him. And she, you know, she already knew and she was waiting for him to tell her. That was kind of, that was reassuring, I think. Mm. I also found it reassuring that Chiamaka didn't, well, as far as we're aware, does not pick up her relationship with Belle as well. Because I think it could have been so easy for her to have gone back there. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, And I'm, kind of glad that she doesn't doesn't yeah i'm glad that they, um devon and chiamaka just separate from everyone completely don't they yeah they 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 definitely i think there's a good lesson in boundary setting yeah there's no forgiveness there's no second chance after they realize what's happened yeah i find this so hard to talk about because i'm so aware i know that it's not coming from my experience I know, I feel you. Something that is coming from my experience, though, is there's a definite feminist undertone to Ace of Spades. It's not a focus, it's not a a plot point, but I think it's very clearly woven into Chiamaka. Yeah. She understands that as a girl, specifically a black girl, she has to work twice as hard to achieve what she wants to achieve. Yeah. And I think she also mentions at some point as well that, um, I can't remember what the word is. Basically, young black people are automatically treated as adults when they do something wrong. Yeah. 
And I think that ties into kind of like how Chiamaka takes takes on the world, takes on the school. She she knows what's expected of her as a popular girl. And even if that doesn't she doesn't like it and it doesn't fit with her own view of herself and you know what she needs as a person as a as a i think she's a clear feminist isn't she yeah but she she kind of separates that and does what she has to do i think that is a a very feminist move yeah i think so i I think no, I get what you mean. Well. <laughs> I get what you mean. I think I also appreciate the um, positioning of the role of the mother as well in this book. Like yeah. both of the mothers, both Chimakas and Devons are these strong women, mm-hmm. um, strong kind of um, role model figures for yeah. both of them, um, which I think is a... I think it I think especially in YA there tends to be a uh lean towards making the parents disappear. Yeah, like, it's like the dead mum. There's just yeah. always a dead mum. Or they're just the parents just aren't in the picture at all. Yeah. There's no mention of them. <laughs> they just work all day. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they are very present and they're involved in their children's lives. Yeah. Devon's mum more. Yeah. Um, and that's returned, I think. I think it's just a difference of relationship, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I liked that too. One thing I did want to bring up, which is completely unrelated to all of those things we've just talked about, <laughs> is a connection I noticed with Phoebe Wynn's Madam, mm-hmm. which was the setting fire to the school. And it's a very symbolic kind of destruction of yeah. this kind of place of corruption. This almost like, it's almost like the locus of a cult, isn't it? It is. It's like the people are too powerful and too rich and too connected. And, you know, a handful of students don't have the power to take that historic institution down but fire does true but also like madam what we see in the end in the epilogue is that you know chimaka and divan are working to try and intercept it from happening again at other schools so even though one's been burnt to the ground others are still carrying on the tradition yeah they're, they're fighting for people not to suffer the same fate aren't they yeah 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 there's a definite connection between those those two ideas i just thought that was interesting it is interesting when i was thinking about the fire though i couldn't remember do we know who started it how it starts jamie was holding the lighter up to chiamaka and it got like thrown aside or pushed aside didn't it yes so i figured it was just from there yeah again it was an accidental fire yeah um which is the same in madam well it was a deliberate fire in Madam, but it was, it was t- supposed to do... Well, exactly. It was technically a deliberate fire in Asus 2 because he, you know, lit the yeah. lighter and then, yeah. 
that, that kind of spiralled out of control. It's <laughs> where, you know, the deaths that we mentioned, because Jamie dies in the fire, doesn't he? Yeah. And I think there were three deaths in total. I can't remember the other two. Someone in um, Devon's music class. Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, there's... So the big question is, is Ace of Spades a Dark Academia title? No. I don't think so either. <laughs> I think we, we hinted at this very much at the beginning. Yeah. Not, not a subtle hint, because I'm not very good at those. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think this is Dark Academia. And yet, every review, every tagline calls it Dark Academia. Mm. So why is it being tagged? Yeah. As dark academia. I think it depends on how loose your definition of the genre is. I think yep. we ourselves have a very fixed kind of idea mm. of dark academia and it stems from the secret history, which is the granddaddy yes. of dark academia. Yeah, absolutely. So that's where we take our cues from. And as we've gone through kind of our criteria of the definition, there are some elements where you can say, yes, it does have that. So it has... It's in the right ballpark, but it's playing the wrong game. It has nods to Dark Academia. Yeah. But it's primarily a thriller, isn't it? Yes. And a social thriller, a social commentary. Yes. That's more powerful and more important in this novel than any nods to Dark Academia. Mm. I think if you... I think maybe if you are simply just taking the words Dark and Academia like separately because it mm-hmm. is dark and yep. it is set in an academic setting <laughs> yeah i suppose in that sense it is dark academia when you approach it literally yes yeah yeah i agree because i think for me uh the preoccupation with classical studies and all the hero worship element is kind of integral to dark yeah, academia. I agree. yeah because um, they're the pinnacle of the the conflict the fallout, the everything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think looking at that kind of tells you whereabouts on the scale it, it kind of sits for Dark Academia. So without that, because, you know, even when we were looking at um, villains, it was like, um, it wasn't as heavy as the secret history. So it wouldn't necessarily be as far along the line as secret history, but it's... It's, it is the crux of the novel. Yeah, and it's still very clearly and obviously a Dark Academia text. Yes. And I think yeah. all of the ones that we've looked at so far, obviously apart from our Dark Academia adjacent title of The Great yeah. Gatsby, um, they are all very clearly Dark Academia. Yeah. According to our specifications. <laughs> yeah. Until Ace of Spades. I think you can feel it in the writing. I think both of us yeah. very quickly kind of picked up that this wasn't Dark Academia with the first couple of chapters, really. I don't think I even needed that long. I was just like, no, this isn't Dark Academia. Yeah. And that's not I, That's not to take anything away from it. It's just that this is not how I would categorise this book. No. I do also wonder, like, I've, I've brought this up so many times, but the difference in YA and adult. Yeah. I can't help but think that there is a a connection there. Maybe. I'm starting to think that can why be dark academia. I think it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I think we do have a few titles 
next season yeah that we are going to explore from ya spoilers so <laughs> i do think it's possible and i do think that we will get one i, I think mm. somebody will do it i mean that's that doesn't take away like how important or even how harrowing ace of space no. is like it is a powerhouse of a book it is an incredible book yeah it's powerful it's important and i'm really glad we read it because thriller isn't something that i gravitate towards and it is sold as a dark academia thriller yes so i wouldn't have picked it up if it was just a thriller yeah same i'm not usually a thriller fan no (laughs) i'm not very good stresses me out yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) Um, but i think this it was a good kind of melding of like the the genres of like social commentary and thriller and just a damn good YA novel yeah yeah so I really really liked it eventually I have to admit I struggled in the beginning mm-hmm. I did struggle to um connect with Chiamaka I found her really abrasive but I really liked Devon um and mm. he kind of carried me through enough until I started to sympathise with Chiamaka. It's just, it's not quite a dark academia novel. It is not. Says says we. But I mean, if anybody yeah. listening would disagree with us, then please do come and disagree <laughs> with us. Yeah, please talk to us about it. Yeah. Because I, as you've said, I think it does depend on how you are approaching the definition. Yeah. yeah. But I think it's also what elements in the novel are at the forefront yeah and it's definitely thriller rather than academia of any kind (laughs) yeah i think i think it could be almost like a fringe title like if it's almost like one of those if you enjoy dark academia you'll probably enjoy this yeah definitely or even like a, a kind of a beginner yeah someone's not ready for the secret history yeah or villains because they are intense novels <laughs> yeah, and this are. is also intense <laughs> but in a different way you know? yeah our next title and the last title of season one will be catherine house by elizabeth thomas during your three years at catherine house you will have no contact with those in the outside world each of our students has been selected as someone who belongs here you will give to catherine and catherine will give to you We will not let each other down. Catherine House is a university like no other. Catherine House is a university like no other. Into its celebrated world steps Ines, a young woman who welcomes the school's isolation rather than its illustrious past. As the gates close and Ines finds herself start to be inevitably seduced by its magnetic power, she begins to realise the question isn't why she chose to come to Catherine House, but why Catherine House chose her. Oh, I'm looking forward to this one because it's been on my read list for so long. Yeah, (laughs) same. I'm really looking forward to this. It's got quite Marmite reviews. Yeah, I saw that on Goodreads. I didn't look at any, but I saw that it was three stars. I was like... "Mm." Yeah, people seem to really love it or really hate it. So Mm. I feel like I'm going to enjoy it. I'm excited. I hope that you have enjoyed this episode where we've been exploring Ace of Spades and that you join us next time when we explore Catherine House. Until then... Bye. Bye.